1: Yes, it, yes, it is. And welcome back. If you missed my uh, commentary on uh, what's taking place, Russia, Ukraine, uh, a new study out on COVID. We covered some of that in the first hour. We'll return to Russia, Ukraine in a little bit. We do the durables here. And one of the durables is um, the way we raise uh, our children and educate them. We spend an awful lot of money on it here, particularly in Arizona. It is the largest budget item in our budget and that is why I am so delighted not only to have as a guest Shiri Sapir, who is running for Superintendent of Public Instruction, but the fact that she is running for Superintendent of Public Instruction. You can follow her on Twitter at Shiri Sapir. You can go to her website, electshirisapir.com. com. She spells her name S H I R Y S A P I R. This is a hard working mom. I know this because I go to a lot of different places <laughs> and I keep running into her. Sherry. it's good to hear from you again. How are you?
2: Hi. Thank you. I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's a lot I want to talk to you about education. But first and foremost, um, you know, I I don't know if you're like me, but it gets to this point where we can't anymore say, wow, or I am shocked When we find the revelation of some kind of nonsense coming out of taxpayer-funded elementary and secondary education uh, where parents and everything we kind of knew about the world up until five years ago or maybe even five minutes ago, Shiri, turns out to just not be true. We have a case of a sixth-grade teacher here not very far from this studio, just a little bit uh, south and uh, east of here in uh, the Altadena Middle School, indoctrinating students and teaching them uh, that the gender rules we have known for uh, millennia uh, just aren't applicable anymore. Would you like to take it from here, Shiri?
2: Yes, it was shocking when I saw the video. This is the pure sense of indoctrination, what she was doing in front of this kid. It was shocking to hear her Uh, First of all, this is not related at all to the class that she's supposed to be teaching, and that is why our kids are illiterate because they're not being taught and they're not being educated. Uh, They're being politicized and uh, becoming, you know, they're just teaching them to become activists because for her to have the audacity to tell these kids the things that she said, and people really need to go, I, I have it on my Twitter, people really need to go and take these videos and audios. Because, you know, a lot of people don't understand. They can't believe that. You know, I had a conversation with my brother Oh, you're very right. Israel. Yeah, you're
1: absolutely right. They think we're nuts in making this stuff up. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Sorry to interrupt.
2: It's, because it's so hard. No, yeah. it's fine. Because it's so hard to believe. I spoke with my brother yesterday. He's in, he's in Israel. And when I'm sending him this thing, he says, there's no way this is going on in America. Yeah. And I say, yes. This is like... there's no. He... Even after I'm sending him some of these things, he just, he he cannot grasp it. It's just, we have gotten so accustomed here in this country right now, in this nation, to accept these things as something that we have going on in our school, but it doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. There's the element of the masks and the quarantines and other things that are really bad, other countries as well. That's one aspect of what was going on with education that was wrong for two years all over the globe. But the CRT, the transgender fluidity, the sexualizing of the kids, the grooming of the kids, the disruption of anything we knew as good and decent in this society is unique to America. Yeah. And it has to stop.
1: Yeah, it does. Let me just, uh, from your press release, let the audience know. And yeah, they should go to your uh, Twitter feed uh, to hear it and see it for themselves, uh, obviously. Obviously, Shiri Sapir, at Shiri Sapir. But uh, the teacher is deliberately trying to normalize boys wearing dresses, makeup, and nails. This is in the sixth grade. Sixth grade. Uh, And then, of course, using a tone that suggests the values of each child's family are at odds with what society wants of them. So immediately driving a wedge between... Sixth graders. What are we talking? Ages 10, 11, maybe. Yeah. 10 and 11. Yeah. Uh, We're talking about 10 and 11 year olds being separated from the norms and modes of their parents. And I have to tell you, Shiri, I, I don't know what your perspective is on this. But when she says that, you know, your parents views on these things are at odds with society, I'm not sure she's actually right about that. She may be right about odds at odds with society in the education schools in our country and it might be at odds with societies like San Francisco. I'm not sure she's right about the rest of the country, though.
2: No, they're at odds with the society that they're trying to create. There you go. They're trying to transform. There you go. This is not. No, we, when my children come to me, when my son was three and said, Mom, I want to wear lipstick, I explained to him that we don't do that at our home, and— Boys don't wear lipstick. Now he said that because I was wearing lipstick, and his five-year-old sister was wearing lipstick yep. with me. So of course he would think that that's... It's so, a totally it's natural
1: thing. Every house has gone through this, absolutely.
2: But but you don't uh, maintain and incentivize and I mean, you know what if you do at your home? Actually, let me rephrase this: if you do that at your home, that's fine. It is not the role of any teacher to interfere with my family values and and my children. It's just not the way it is. And the way she said that, and, you know, I'm all over the state because I'm running for superintendent. I'm in front of so many groups, and I can't tell you how many times people come to me after I speak and say, Sherry, we send our kids to colleges, we send them to universities, they went liberal, and they don't want anything to do with us anymore. Yeah. And it is one of the saddest things, and I can see how now. it used to be in high academia. It used to be in the universities. Now they're coming up to the kindergarten. That's the right. It's second grade, sixth grade. It is dangerous. It has to stop. People, people have to wake up about this. I mean... It's a uh, reinforcing a loop, thing.
1: unfortunately, that's grown larger, hasn't it, Shiri? In the sense that, yeah, right. this used to be a uniquely uh, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old 20 thing, you know, in the colleges, right. in the universities. Kids leave their home. They experiment. They, you know, they feel a little independent. They want to, uh, you know, sow their their cultural oats, I suppose, and experiment a little bit, I suppose, Uh, But, yes, the shocking thing was when we realized, well, something has to feed these colleges, and these colleges are looking for students that comply with the college culture. And if the college culture isn't going to be um, entrenched or instructed at the ages below, at the grades below, i.e., in elementary and secondary, the elementary and secondary woke up and understood that. We want to feed these colleges. We're going to do what these colleges want. We're going to do what these colleges do. And by the way, the teachers all came out of these colleges,
2: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That is why I I tell people right now we are in a cultural war and this has nothing to do with our views, my personal views on gay marriage, on that lifestyle, on any of this. And it's really important. And I don't care if people are going to call me misogynist or homophobic or whatever they might want to call me. These children are minor. I don't want anybody to speak uh, to them at all about any kind of sexuality, homosexual. Heterosexual, they're talking to them about this reality. I was exposing that one teacher in Paradise Valley. That's right. That's uh, right. You know. So I mean, (laughs) the thing we were told would
1: never happen or exist, right? The thing we were told would never happen or exist is happening attemptedly, quietly in our elementary. And Sherry, when did we, um, when did we go from tolerance, tolerance to what used to be called alternative lifestyles to endorsement? I was shocked the other day, not the other day, the other month, I suppose. I was shocked when um, I saw a parent in Loudoun County, Virginia, holding up a book that looked like it was designed for kindergartners about transgenderism. And I thought, oh, wow, we're starting that now. And I went to go look up the book. I found like 40 others just like it. I'm talking books that looked just like the kinds of things I read growing up, like The Very Hungry Caterpillar or, I, I don't know, Corduroy. They were children's books meant for kindergartners, if not a little earlier. And they were not about tolerance. They were about encouraging these, quote-unquote, alternative lifestyles, transgenderism, if you will. And I'm not even sure I'm okay with the tolerance of it at those ages. You're absolutely right. What the hell does a four- or five- or six-year-old know about these things? Why the hell are we talking to them about them?
2: They don't. I actually ordered a couple of days ago. I'm going to have them in every campaign event that I go. I have ordered dozens of books. Good, exactly like you're speaking. Good. about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no shortage speak. of these oh, yeah.
1: books, right? It's amazing,
2: actually. No. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, people need to see them for themselves. You bet. They need to open these books that look exactly as you said, like the Hungry Carter Killer or uh, you know, Doctor. You know, Doctor. Se- you know, Seuss got banned, for God's sake. He got banned, <laughs> but it's okay to talk to children about. It <laughs> makes so Doctor. Seuss cool. got banned so for racism.
1: Sure. I got to take a break. Can you can you stay with me a little longer?
2: Sure.
1: I I, I laugh about you're right. I forgot about Dr. Seuss getting banned for racism. You know, I thought as I'm going to break, Shuri, I'll just say this. I thought at the time uh, this was about a year ago, wasn't it? I thought at the time to myself, you know, you go to a country that really has race problems. I don't know. Sudan, maybe. And you think you can imagine a, a delegation Wanting to come to the United States, come to a country that understands pluralism and see how they deal with racism. Let's go on a fact-finding junket to the United States. They come here and they realize, oh, the way they go after racism is by banning Dr. Seuss. There's really nothing for us to learn here. We'll go back to the Sudan and deal with it in reality. Yeah, this is a very comfortable country that can go about banning Dr. Seuss because he's the problem. We'll be right back with more from Shiri Sapir. Hi, from the Guns Etc studios. I am Seth and It is the Seth Leapson Show, and I'm delighted to have Shiri Sapir on with us. She's a candidate running for superintendent of public instruction. You can follow her on Twitter or go to her website at Shiri Sapir, shirisapir.com. Shiri, we're talking about this case uh, at this middle school uh, just south of here of a sixth grade teacher indoctrinating children. But really, before, you know, since that, we we are surprised when we find these things happening. As you said, we find it in college and we find it normal and we kind of shrug our shoulders. Probably the wrong response, but that's what we've been doing for 30 years or so. And then we found it surprising when this was happening in high schools. And then we uh, found it equally, if not a little bit more surprising, that it was taking place in middle schools. And as you and I were just discussing before the break, it's now happening in pre-K and nursery and kindergarten. Um, this is a really, really weird thing about an issue we 're talking about encouraging transgenderism really weird thing on so many levels one an issue that just was no until what about two thousand and fifteen Nowheresville. no one no one, no one talked about it. Who would have ever thought we would be encouraging kids to think about it? Who would have ever thought we would be encouraging kids? to separate, be separated from their parents on this issue thanks to the public school system. I have to tell you, Shiri, I, 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 I don't use this comparison, this analog, lightly. I just don't. And it took me a long time to even convince myself it was the right thing to do. But I am doing it now, and I am sending people to Chapter 2 of the Communist Manifesto, where Karl Marx mm-hmm. says deliberately that the way to break the family structure is through social education. That's what we're talking about here, Sherry. That's what we're talking about.
2: Yes, 100%. Um, you know, if this was an isolated incident, if we heard about it once every blue moon, I would say, you know what? Right. It's just a big one that happened. Right. But this is a systematic occurrence in schools all around the nation, all different grade levels, all different schools, private and charters, yep. too, Uh, Oh, that's that's a great point.
1: Yeah. Don't don't think private saves you from this. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Nobody says the parents have to know where they're sending their kids to. And for those kids who don't have parents who are engaged, who don't have parents that give them the support and protect them from all this. You know, I took my kids and put them in a private school when I could a year and a half ago because I wanted to save my children. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody is engaged or cares about their right. children. Sure. And our job as a society is to make sure that these kids are well. The Department of Education needs to make sure that those kids who don't have support at home getting the proper education so they do have quality of life, so they do have opportunity in their life. And that's not what they're doing. They're keeping them illiterate. They're keeping them unable to read, unable to write, unable to think. And then they are destabilizing their core, who, who, who am I? What's my identity? Can you imagine growing up, if nothing else, growing up, I knew I had my family, I knew I was a girl, I knew I liked to play dolls with my, girl, with my girlfriend. I knew my teacher was somebody I looked up to. She, you know, that My teachers were teaching me all these great things. I, I felt progress. I felt empowered. They told me how great I was and how the sky's the limit. None of this is going on in our schools. All they tell them is to feel shame for what they are, what they cannot be, what society doesn't want them to be, or what the society condemns them, or the society that they live in and the, and the country they live in, how racist and irredeemably evil it is, how their color of the skin is going to dictate the outcome of their life. All of these things cannot be spoken about anymore. And if they are, the public schools have to be defunded. And we
1: need to have school choice where families can take their children somewhere else. Sherry, um, one looks at what's going on around here, and we're worried about the kids, obviously. But that's really the wrong area to start with in the sense this is an adult problem. Adults are doing this. Adults are foisting this. They are using Hannah Arendt, a philosopher who is really popular in the 50s and 60s, she wrote a, uh, an essay, The Crisis in Education, and she, she, she writes, the, the most fantastic caricature of progressive education is the abolishment of the authority of adults, which implicitly allows them to die, deny responsibility for the world into which they have born their children and refuses the duty of guiding them into it. So we come to a point where children are asked to improve and change the world on behalf of the adults— where we play out the political battlefields, where we play out the political battles of adults on our schoolyards. It's a terrible thing to do to kids, but it's being done by adults. The adults are the problem here, not the kids, right? Of
2: course. Absolutely. And that is the tragedy that we're living through. You know, I would have never run for a political office if I didn't feel that there is such a sense of urgency right now to rescue our children. And I don't say that lightly either. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about this. When I look at, since I've been running, I'm getting so much information daily, text messages, emails, people sending me all these things from the classrooms, from their kids, the letters, the, the correspondence to the schools. It is depressing. Yeah. It's impossible. We can't live our lives like this. No. We are the adults, and so yep. we need to have adults in every room where there's children that are responsible. These are irresponsible adults that we have in front of our kids, and... Our society is going to be judged really badly. Um, History—we're is not, we're not going to be on the side of the right side of history. No, we're to continue.
1: not. No, we're so not. We and and on so many levels, it's as if there was yes. a grand conspiracy over the last two or three years. I read a uh, in my earlier hour in the previous hour, Shiri, I I was talking about a new study. CNN's medical professional P- professor Wen, Doctor Wen, was talking about showing learning and cognitive deficits due to school closures and saying, you know, how this was unexpected. The hell it was unexpected. I was talking about it. There were a lot of people talking about it too two and a half years ago. I swear if I see one more study substantiating everything I was censored and censured for saying two and a half years ago, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'll scream. I'll have a radio show. I don't know what I'll do. But I'm getting a little sick and tired of it. This is why you need to be superintendent, by the way.
2: Exactly. When people are so, when well, we feel so defeated because it seems, oh my gosh, our voices are not heard. We need to remember why Why our, our voices are so silent because we don't have the roles, the leading roles, right. the making the decision roles. And these are the ones we need to put it. Think about if in every school board that dictated mandates and still do of math, if you had one or two different members of the five I mean thousands The whole dynamic of changes. In you, bet. Have lived a whole you bet. Two people, three people, you bet. five people. This is the difference between the life we live right now and the life we want. And It's Sorry. our job and duty for ourselves. If we want to live well, and we do, I want to have a good life. I, I wasn't born to live, to suffer through it. No, years. you don't want to have to, look look to run for superintendent,
1: kids. probably. Probably. No, I yeah, don't. Right.
2: <laughs> I don't. I have a very good life. Right. But... Uh, When my daughter was driving with me and she said, you know, we haven't traveled for two years. And she said, Mom, we're not traveling. I said, yes, for as long as we have enough. We cannot travel. She said, so what? My life is always going to be like this. We're always going to have that. And my heart sunk. And I said, you know, no, no. I'm going to fight to make sure that your life isn't continuing to be this uh, obsession with with irrational, really, and, and, and illogical. Uh, dictation by who who are these people that are making these decisions for us
1: Well so, sherry, we have to be hard
2: people who make decisions
1: Hard times demand strong leaders, strong people, strong women like yourself i 'm delighted to support you sherry Sapir Thank you sherry for doing this we 'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Parts of Ritz are brought to you by Balance of Nature, the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. Think about it for a second. The only ingredient, the only one, is pure fruits and vegetables and all the good stuff. Blend of 15 whole fruits and 16 whole vegetables in one daily dose. You can take a little more if you want if you ever get that afternoon sluggishness or you have a late night or you're burning the midnight oil a little more than usual. You can take a little extra. You can take a lot extra if you want. You're not going to overdose on fruits and veggies. If you don't like swallowing a vegetarian pill, which is what it comes in, a vegetarian capsule, they're easily designed to open up and be sprinkled on to little food or in a drink. You can even chew them if you want. They're a fine snack. I've done it before. Balanceofnature.com. It's been keeping me healthy and well for years. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Discount code BALANCE. Happy to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, the crisis in education and our children. It turns out that when one thinks about it as we conservatives are kind of playing catch-up to this thing. We realize how widely and deeply the problem runs. We kind of thought, as I said earlier, we shrugged our shoulders at this happening in the college and university level because you're away from home for the first time, your age of majority or age of adulthood, 18, 19, 20, sort of. And these things are, in a way, discouraged, but in a way, also not surprising. Then we started noticing it in high school, and that was surprising. Then middle school, and that was shocking. Cover of National Geographic, very shocking. And now, not just elementary school, but five-year-olds and six-year-olds. And as Sherry says, you know, never mind the problem of the advocacy for half a minute, just for half a minute. I yourself, said, what the heck five- and six-year-olds are—never mind eighth-graders, ninth-graders, tenth-graders, or eleventh-graders. Anyone who's a little older than that, think about what you knew when you were in the tenth-grade, eleventh-grade, twelfth-grade. Think about just how smart you were about the world or yourself— Think about it for a second. And now you think it's an okay thing to encourage these people to be making life-altering decisions about their body and gender? Life-altering, permanent in many cases. It's not just the advocacy. It's that this has no business there whatsoever, no business at all. You know, I talk a little bit about the eyebrow-raising feature of probably the most well-known movement in America in the last two or three years. And that's the BLM movement. Is there a larger movement that we can think of than Black Lives Matter? I don't think there's one that got more attention or more support, quite frankly, from the political and journalistic class. That weird plank about wanting to dismantle the traditional Western family. It was eyebrow-raising. What has this to do with Black Lives Matter? Indeed, is that really something that will solve the problems of so many in minority communities? Less family structure? Is that what we're looking for? Until you realize, you reach back into your reading just a little bit, that you might have read this somewhere once before in Political Philosophy 101 if you were assigned to the Communist Manifesto, where you see Karl Marx Marx and and, 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 uh, Engels talking about their word vanishing the family structure, vanishing the family structure, dismantling here, vanishing in the 19th century German through the means of... As Marx and Engels wrote, social education. And then when you realize the BLM leadership claimed it was trained in Marxism, the picture came into full and clear view, at least for those of us with eyes willing to see and ears willing to hear. Oh, it's been attributed to a lot of different people. When tyranny comes to America, it'll come with a smiley face. It'll come with a laughing face. It'll come with a happy demeanor. It comes in many fronts now. I just hope we have the wherewithal to see it and recognize it when it comes. I've said it before. It's been too long since I've said it. I'll say it again. You may not be interested in political philosophy, but I guarantee you political philosophy is interested in you. We'll be right back. Well, realize David Bowie changed his name from David Jones to David Bowie because the monkeys Davy Jones was so popular. <laughs> anyway, if you're like me, you'll remember um, the sixties, seventies, and eighties as a time when the big joke well, the big animating feature of the left, not not necessarily a joke, but the big one of the big animating features of the left was the distrust of government. Question authority, you know, don't trust anyone over 30. And it particularly apexed during the Vietnam era when we were told the government was lying to us, continually lying to us. War, military, and lies was a a highly animating, cohesive feature of the left, instructing us on that. And ultimately, it led to a lot of hearings in the 70s, by the way, which ended up really eviscerating a lot of our intelligence community, particularly the Frank Church hearings, and changing a lot within our military structure as well. Do you get the sense now that maybe in in a way we're the new leftists? I don't know. I've made the point the other day the left is now in charge, bacha unger Sargon's thesis. The left is now in charge. There, there is no institution, perhaps outside of Bill. Help me out. Can you think of any outside of talk radio? There is no institution that isn't dominated by or governed by the left. None, none, not, not that I can think of anymore. They've taken them all slowly, and steadily. And um, and and so you know, maybe the real counterculture. Is we conservatives, or we who are dedicated to common sense, or just telling the truth? For God's sakes, just telling the darned truth. What's the opening of Chernobyl, ironically enough? Chernobyl, what's the opening line from the scientist? The problem is telling lies is when you tell enough of them, it's not that people will confuse lies with truth, it's that they'll no longer be able to recognize the truth at all. In today's press conference, do you get the feeling you've been lied to? Do you get the feeling no one cares anymore? At today's press conference, this is Fox News. I watched it. There was a lot of contradiction between President Biden's claim that no one expected sanctions against Russia to work in his administration's previous position statements against Russia having to do with sanctions. It's Robert McNamara and LBJ all over again. Although Biden announced a new sanctions on top of the previous ones against Russia in response to the invasion of Ukraine full scale today, Biden said during the press conference no one expected the sanctions to prevent the invasion. That's what he said. No one expected the sanctions to prevent the invasion. No one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening, he went on. This could take time and we have to show resolve so Putin knows what's coming and so the people of Ro- Russia know what he's brought on to them. Well, maybe he needs to call his vice president because she said from Europe four days ago, quote, the purpose of the sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence, close quote. People know what deterrence is anymore? A week ago, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, said, quote, sanctions are intended to deter, close quote. Sanctions are to deter, according to the National Security Advisor, according to the Vice President speaking from Europe. The purpose of the purpose of sanctions has always been and continues to be deterrence. But the President says no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. You feel you're being lied to? Again, we'll talk to Brandon Weikert at the top of the next hour. You're not going to want to miss it. Brandon is a mind alive, and he knows this stuff maybe better than anyone in the old executive office building for sure, but maybe in any school of foreign service. You're not going to want to miss it. I know it's the second time this week. I think it demands it. You're not going to want to miss my interview with Brandon coming up at the top of the next hour. But I think we as a conservative movement, because it's not going to end with Ukraine. I mean, Joe Biden himself today said Vladimir Putin wants to reconstitute the entirety of the Soviet Union. And I get there are distinctions between NATO and non-NATO countries that we're obliged to defend. I get that. But again, I'll repeat it. I'll say it again. Can anyone imagine sending U.S. troops to defend Estonia, which is a NATO member? And a country probably no one's even ever really heard of, at least not since the breakup of the Soviet Union. We are obliged to defend them, after all. Surprise, surprise how much grief Donald Trump took for questioning the value of NATO when it was an almost entirely U.S.-financed operation, and Europe was doing nothing or very little to pony up its support for its neighbors uh, and itself. But then again, you have to ask the obvious question that comes up here as well, which is, did anyone think this would possibly happen under Donald Trump? The answer is yes. Some people are really doing everything they can to take any and all responsibility off Joe Biden. I just never thought it would be committed or self-proclaimed you might call them soy de sant conservatives. Bill Kristol tweets today. This is amazing. Bill, I'm surprised we're not blaming police in America for invasion of Ukraine. Bill Kristol tweets, you know where people who cherish freedom are looking today? To Ukraine? About which Ron DeSantis, a former member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, apparently didn't have the courage to say a word because he's scared Donald Trump or Tucker Carlson might criticize him. Yeah, some years ago he was in the House of Representatives and sat on the Foreign Affairs Committee. He's the governor of Florida. You want the governor of Florida weighing in on this right now? You want the governor of Arizona weighing on this right now? This is the effect. This is the effort. This great, this great man of, of thinking and use of force abroad, Bill Kristol, it's now blaming Ron DeSantis for not speaking out more forcefully because he's afraid. I'll tell you, there's a man who is not afraid in American politics. It's Ron DeSantis. I think he's just probably busy doing other things, which is hmm, his constitutional duty to operate the affairs of state, not of Ukraine, not of Russia, not of Washington, D.C., not of our foreign policy establishment, not of a job he used to have many years ago, but the affairs of state of Florida, of which, I might add, he's doing quite well. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. You don't want to miss Brandon J. Weikert coming up second time this week. I have no doubt he'll be as forceful as the last, if not more so. Given uh, the times, it's a sad day. It's a sad day for the Ukrainians, obviously, but it's also a sad day for um, the rest of the world that kind of looks to America for leadership and to stop unremitting aggression. And that's a sad day for Americans because we are getting reminded by the day that the world – is as it always has been surfeited with madmen and strongmen and it requires a country that not only believes in itself as a counterforce but a leadership that's if not equally strong strong enough strong enough to to use kamala harris's words but not joe biden's to deter to deter It's becoming more and more evident. Churchill's been on my mind a lot today. Churchill's been on my mind. He says, this isn't the end, height of World War II. It's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps it's the end of the beginning. Perhaps after enough failure, we realize what the durables are all over again. And we say, nothing like before. We will do nothing like we did before. I don't know how many times we have to learn the lessons of appeasement. I don't know how many times we have to learn the lessons of self-debasement. And I don't know how many times we have to learn the lessons that the enfeebled will always lose against the strong. America the strong. That's the mantra we should have. And we deserve a leadership as strong as the people in the country that inhabits it. Don't go away. Brandon J. Weikert coming right up.